Yeah, we, we want to welcome you again. Uh, for those of you who, who may be new here, who may not know me, uh, my name is Abraham, and, uh, and I'm the pastor here at Sun Valley. And, and one of the things that we've been really emphasizing uh, these past two weeks is kind of getting our mission statement out there and, and really repeating it so that it sticks into, into, into our brains. Uh, we believe in three things. We believe in growing faith, building community, and in the hope of Jesus. The three things foundational for our vision, for our mission here. At Sun Valley and, and today we're going to be exploring briefly I, I won't take too long but we'll be exploring Exodus chapter 20 and if you're familiar with the Bible at all you'll know that Exodus chapter 20 is is the story in which God gives Moses and Israel the Ten Commandments and regardless of the version of the Bible that you read I'm sure most of us are familiar with uh, with this chapter and with the phrasing thou shalt not you guys know that, right? The, 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 the standard King James version, you're all familiar with that. And, and just a quick question, has anyone ever seen the 1956 classic, The Ten Commandments, starring Charlton Heston and Yul Brenner? Have you guys seen that? Raise your hands, raise your hands if you've seen it. I, I wanna know, because for those of you who have not seen it, I wanna give you homework to go home today, watch that movie, fantastic movie, I, I, although I, I, I must give a warning, the movie does have a runtime of 220 minutes. That's three hours and 40 minutes. So, before war, don't worry, there is an intermission in the middle of the movie. So, if you're like, oh, I need to go to the bathroom, I need to get some snacks or something, there literally is an intermission in the movie. So, you can, you can take your time and, and go ahead and do that. It's a fantastic movie. Uh, my family actually used to watch this movie every Saturday after church for a year. We bought the DVD and we watched it every Saturday after church for a year. I, I, I was like seven or eight. So I can't guarantee I watched the whole thing and paid attention to the whole thing, but I've watched it like a numerous amount of times. And, and, and I actually watched it recently because my wife had never seen the movie. And I was like, no, I, like, I can't be married to a person who's never seen the classic <laughs> 1956 Ten Commandments starring Charlton Esther and Yul Brynner. So we sat down and we watched it. And guess what? It holds up so well. It is such a good movie. Like, just fantastic. Still a, a, a great movie. And one of the scenes that I love the most is that scene near the end of the movie that depicts the story that we're going to read, Exodus chapter 20. And it's this, this scene where this, like, God's in this pillar of fire, this tornado of fire, and, and Moses is on the mountain, and, and he's conversing with God. And God, like, with this booming, deep voice, kind of gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And the fire, it's really cool. I don't know how they did it in 1956 with those special effects, but the fire, there's like this weird like arm of fire that comes out of the tornado and it like strikes the stone and it like etches the commandments. Obviously in, in, in Hebrew, in the cuneiform uh, writing, so we can't read it, but, but it etches the commandments into the stone tablets and then and the fire carves the, the what we have the traditional yeah. view of the, of the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And every time I watch that scene, it just gives me chills. Just this like awesome, powerful scene of like the word of God speaking to Moses, the hand of God like actively writing the Ten Commandments. Fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, 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 someone said it's on Netflix. So go, if you have Netflix, go watch it today. It's a fantastic movie. And, and by the way, while we're on recommendations from Pastor Abraham, also watch The Prince of Egypt, DreamWorks The Prince of Egypt. Have you guys seen that movie? Fantastic. I've seen that movie so many times, I can literally recite the entire script 
from beginning to end, like not just the songs, like the talking parts. And like every, every Friday night I wanna watch it, like we're on like Netflix watching like the Bible series or whatever, or a documentary, and I like pass by the Prince of Egypt and, and I, like, I look at Alyssa and she says, no, <laughs> we've watched it too many times. She won't let me watch it again, but, but it's a fantastic movie if you wanna watch it. It's, it's great for the kids and, and I love the, the Prince of Egypt. Um, it actually stars quite a, quite a few, um, Big name. I, I, okay, just give me the look. I'll stop talking about that. Um, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, we're going to do a quick recap for those of you who weren't here last week. Last week we did Exodus chapter 3. This is the story of Moses, and, 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 and Moses flees from Pharaoh because he kills an Egyptian. He has this identity crisis, and he identifies with the Hebrews, but he's an Egyptian prince and all this stuff. And so he kills this, uh, this taskmaster because he's treating the Hebrew slave cruelly. And, and so he gets really infuriated. He kills the, um, the taskmaster, hides the body, but Pharaoh finds out. And Pharaoh isn't too pleased at someone in his court killing his own people, so he, he, he has a, a hit kind of laid out on Moses, and, and Moses is terrified, so he runs. Uh, he finds himself in the land of Midian, and, and he marries this woman named Zipporah. And she's the daughter of Jethro, who's the, the priest kind of in that area. And, and Moses lives there for about 40 years. He becomes a shepherd for Jethro, uh, for his father-in-law. And, and one of the days when he's out uh, tending the flock, he sees this burning bush. And it's this fire where God's presence is, is, is residing, it's manifested. And God reveals his plan to Moses to deliver his people uh, out of bondage. And, and just a quick recap, uh, the three lessons we, we learned last week is, is wherever God is, is holy ground. Amen. Wherever God dwells, that's holy ground. When we dwell in the presence of God, when we dwell in the presence of Jesus, we're stepping on holy ground. All of our sins, all of our mistakes, those are wiped away. Those are cleared in the presence of Jesus. And, and our second lesson is God is sending us. The way that God intervenes in the world is by sending his people. Um, whenever, if you want to see, because sometimes we, we ask, we see the stuff terrible, that stuff that's going on in the news, and, and we kind of have this like crisis of faith, mini crisis of faith, and we ask, where is God in this situation? Where is God in, in the Middle East? Where is God uh, uh, down in California? Where is God with, with, with the struggling, the oppressed, the, the minorities? Where is God in all of that? And one of the things that we find through the story of the Bible is that God acts through people. God very rarely intervenes through miracles. He, he, he actually acts through people. So when you want to see God in the world, you've got to look for the people that are getting their hands dirty and bringing mercy and love and justice and freedom. That's where God is. The crazy thing, if you read Exodus chapter 3, is that God says, I have heard the cry of my people, and so I am coming down to deliver them out of bondage. And the next thing he says is, so now go, Moses, I am sending you. God's deliverance, God's stepping down to deliver is synonymous with his sending of Moses. God works through people. God works through people. So the question is, how is God working through us? When we see something that needs to be done, when we see something in the world and say, someone should do something, the question we need to ask is, is God calling me to do something? That was our second lesson. Our third lesson, mini-sermon here. He is that he is. We, we, we dealt with uh, the great I am that I am, the, the, in Hebrew, uh, we dive into the name of, of uh, I am that I am, we discovered what it meant um, and how we come to this greater understanding of who God is. Uh, I won't go into the details because it's too much, you just have to check it out uh, on our YouTube and on our Facebook page, quick plug there, uh, watch that sermon and, and, and you can kind of fast forward to the end if, you, if you're curious about the I am that I am. So we come now, um, Moses responds to God's call, and 
He goes to Egypt and he confronts Pharaoh. And of course, Pharaoh is not too pleased with this encounter. He doesn't really know the God Yahweh. He doesn't uh, really care for Moses. He doesn't care for any of that stuff. And, and so Moses comes before him and he says, let my people go. And he says, but he says, the God of, of, of Israel, the God of the Hebrews demands, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, who is this God? I don't know him. I don't worship this God. He has no power in my life. He's a nobody. And so Pharaoh challenges the might of the God of the Hebrews. He challenges the might of Yahweh. And so God sends then uh, 10 plagues upon Egypt. And after each plague and between each plague, Pharaoh is given the opportunity to respond and let the people go. But he refuses. And, and upon the last and final plague, um, Pharaoh finally lets the people go, the Israelites go. And, and, and so all the Hebrews, among other people groups that were also enslaved in Egypt, they all leave together with Moses um, and they leave into the desert. And, and so they get to the sea, uh, the, uh, traditionally the Red Sea. And, and Pharaoh kind of sits there and, and he's, he's furious and then he kind of has this change of heart. He says, I shouldn't have let them go. So he sends the army uh, chariots to go chase after Moses because he doesn't want uh, his commodity. This is his resource. He doesn't want them to escape. So he sends the, the charioteers after, after the people of Israel. And so God steps down again to deliver them. They're trapped between the, the Pharaoh's chariots and the sea. And God sends this pillar of fire to hold back the chariots. And then he splits the sea to allow the Israelites to cross through this powerful stuff that's going on. And so the Israelites, they cross through the fire dies down and the chariots, they chase after the Israelites. And, and I love, if you, if you watch the 1956 classic, it's cool, because like, as soon as the last person steps over to the other side uh, of the sea, the, the, the waters begin to close back up. It's this like, really like cinematic and, and powerful point. Watch, it's a good movie. And, and so it closes up um, and it consumes chariots and, and the people and, and they all get swallowed up by the sea. And, and so then, then we have God kind of leading the people here. We have Moses leading the people, and, and God uh, sends the pillar of fire again. He sends them to warm them up at night and, and to keep away snakes and scorpions and all this stuff. And he sends a cloud as well to cover the Israelites as they traverse through the desert hot sun. Uh, this amazing story of God just really caring for the minute details of his people group. And the Israelites wander and, and they're hungry and God sends them manna, God sends them quail, uh, God sends them water of a rock to, to give them to drink. And they continue on this journey to, through the desert and they finally arrive at Mount Sinai uh, or Mount Horeb if, if you read it in Exodus chapter 3, same mountain. Um, and so they arrive there and Moses then ascends. He climbs up the mountain to converse with God. And, and this is where God gives him the Ten Commandments. This is Exodus chapter 20. Amen. So we start uh, reading from verse chapter 1, and it says this in Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have your Bibles with you, we'll have it available on the screen uh, here as well. In verse 20, ch uh, chapter 20, verse 1 says this, And God spoke all of these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. He says in verse 7, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner that resides in your towns and in your homes. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It says in verse 12, he says, honor your father and your mother so that, you may, so that you may live long in the land your God has given you. He says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. It was this tremendous, powerful sight. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you. God has come to be near you so that the fear of God, the respect and awe of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. We're not going to go into too much details about all the commandments and what they mean. We'll explore that in a separate series some other time next year. But, but I want to give you two lessons today. And the first of, of our two lessons is this. The commandments are about relationship. Amen. The commandments are about relationship. See, for, for some reason, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but I have. The commandments tend to get a bad rap. The commandments tend to be viewed sometimes in a negative light, and especially it's, it's popular in, in modern Christianity that we tend to focus too much on the New Testament and neglect the Old Testament. We throw away uh, the, the commandments along with the Old Testament. We love the stories of Jesus. We love the Gospels. We love the New Testament, but sometimes we don't know what to do with the Old Testament. Uh, but when we throw it out, it's kind of like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's this important part of, of God's relationship with us. And, and people sometimes can see the commandments as this burden that gets put on them rather than seeing the commandments for what they are truly meant to be. Amen. You see, the commandments are meant to be a guideline for living in right relationship with God and with others. Amen. That's what the commandments are. They are guidelines for living in a right relationship with God and living in a right relationship with others. You see, the commandments are not about control. Mm -hmm. They're not about control. They're about relationship. From the very moment that God created humanity, he entered into this relationship with us, he conversed with us, he dwelt with us, and he means to bring us back into that place of right relationship that we had before sin came into the world. You know, peace exists when our priorities become living right with God and living right with others. Amen. There was peace in the beginning. Sin entered the world, broke relationships, and now we have a lack of peace. But peace exists when our priorities become living right with God and living right with others. And being right with God means that there is nothing else that steals our attention from Him, our focus, our time, our efforts, our hearts from Him. You see, when we have other gods, and other gods don't necessarily have to be other religious gods. They can be literally anything. We can put anything up on a pedestal that can become our God, can become our focus, can, be, can steal of our attention. Not having other gods, or by having other gods, we can't enter into right relationship with this God because we become divided. Our heart is split. Our attention is split. Our efforts are split. We cannot devote appropriate time and energy into having a good relationship with this God when our hearts and minds are somewhere else. And it's not quality time with God when we're rushing through devotion to get to work. It's not quality time with God 
when our prayer and praise is interrupted by what's on TV or what's on our phone. It's not quality time when we can't even dedicate a space of time to God because our finances, our hobbies, our interests, or our jobs take first priority in our hearts. See, the Ten Commandments, I believe, were, were given in a very particular order, a very specific order that make following the commandments much easier. You see, you start off with having a right relationship with God. And then in the Sabbath commandment, it transitions into this right relationship with God to having a right relationship with ourselves, having this peace, having this rest, like God rested. And then it moves into having a right relationship with others. The commandments were given in a very specific way that allow the commandments to be followed and to be, uh, to be lived by much easier. We cannot have right relationship with others unless we first have a right relationship with God. We cannot have a right relationship with others unless we first have a right relationship with, with God. That's kind of what the Sabbath is about. The Sabbath is about refocusing our priorities, refocusing our inner hearts, our inner compass to God, making it easier to love those around us, to ensure that we live right by those around us by not doing anything that would bring other people harm, both God and other people around us by, by, by stealing from them, by injuring them, uh, by lying to or about them, uh, by disrespecting the sanctity of the whole human being through adultery. Uh, that's a reference to, uh, to our series that we did back in February, The Mingling of Souls, where we explored kind of relationships and the intimacy of relationships and how God has created us as whole human beings. Uh, we would disrespect that when, when we commit adultery, when we lust after people, or, or through taking a life, as the commandments say, uh, murdering. God has given these commandments to us not to seek to control us, because sometimes it, it, it seems that way. We, sometimes we don't want the commandments. Sometimes we don't, we don't like them because it's just like, oh, it's, 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 it's inhibiting my liberties. It's, it's chaining me. I, I can't follow them because they're too hard. But the thing is that God, doesn't gave, uh, God never gave us these commandments to control us because he could easily do without them. Yeah. Right? Am I right? Mm -hmm. If we believe in the same God that literally spoke creation, couldn't that same God also speak control over us? Couldn't that same God also force us into doing anything that he wanted, into following the commandments perfectly, he could speak life into existence and he could easily speak us into whatever action he chooses, but control isn't his goal. That's not God's end goal. God's end goal is relationships. And you can't have relationships with control. You can't have relationships with control. See, God gave us the commandments because he values us. He values the way we treat each other. He values our relationship with one another. And most importantly, he values the relationship he has with us. God intends for us to live in harmony with one another, to be a part of God's kingdom. That's what it means to be a part of God's kingdom, to live in harmony with one another. And being, part of, uh, being a part of God's kingdom means fostering and promoting peace. It doesn't just mean we do it. It means also seeking for others to do the same. It means seeking for peace and freedom and mercy and justice in the world. It means doing good and seeking for good to be done. Amen. The commandments are about relationship. This is our second and our final lesson. I have to hold this mic. I'm getting hot with this. The, the commandments are about relationship. And, and our last lesson, our second lesson is the commandments are about freedom. Yeah. 
The commandments are about freedom. And sometimes this may feel counterintuitive. Sometimes it doesn't feel quite like the commandments are freedom. I know personally as a kid, I, I grew up uh, in a pretty strict household and, and, and the commandments being about freedom didn't always ring true for me. I, I didn't feel that. I didn't feel like it was like that. I didn't feel like the commandments brought me freedom. I felt like it brought me more restrictions. But the reality is, is the commandments are about freedom. Because check this out, verses 1 and 2. It'll be up there on the screen. It says this, And God spoke all of these words. Where do the quotes start? Where God starts speaking? Verse 2, right? It says, God spoke all of these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You see, we often take the commandments to start with verse 3. Or verse 4, wherever it starts, you shall have no other gods before me. But that's not where God starts. Before we get started on, on, on the deliverance of, of the actual guidelines and rules, there's this preamble that God gives. And he says this in verse 2, God is speaking. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And if you remember last week, we saw Exodus chapter 3. The next slide uh, shows you Exodus chapter 3 as well. It says this, Exodus 3 verse 7, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 9 says, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you. He's talking to Moses here. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. Listen to this. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Amen. Amen. You see, God says in Exodus chapter 3, he says, you will know that you are freed from Egypt when you come back to this mountain to worship. And in Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, they finally come back to Mount Sinai to worship. And what this means is that the freedom from Egypt was not complete until they arrived back at Mount Sinai. That's what God said. He said, the freedom is not complete until you come back here and you worship. The Israelites are just, they have just been freed. And upon the arrival at the mountain, God gives them his commandments. You see, the story of the commandments, Exodus 20, isn't just in addition to this story of freedom from Egypt, it is part of the story of freedom from Egypt. Amen. The commandments come as the culmination, that's the peak, that's the most important part of the Exodus story, the story of freedom. Yes. So the commandments are about freedom. The Exodus, the fleeing from Egypt, wasn't just a political liberation, it was also a spiritual liberation. God was liberating them from the worship of and sacrifice to gods who had absolutely no power. See, the people, they were stuck in this cycle of enslavement. They were stuck serving gods, sacrificing to gods who had no power to change or affect their lives. They worship all these false gods who had no power in their lives. So God gives his commandments and he says, thou shalt serve no other gods before me. He's saying that in, in, in freedom, he is freeing them from living a life of pursuing other gods who have no effect over their lives. The other gods were powerless. The other gods were a part of a religion who could only ever take but never give back. 
The story of the commandments is a story of our God in pursuit of right relationship with his people. It is not a story of impossible rules shackled on us like prison chains, but rather a story of liberation from the bondage of this world and the broken relationships that sin fosters. Yes. The commandments are about freedom. And God is freeing us from the broken patterns of this world. He's freeing us from the patterns of selfishness and the patterns of hate. He's bringing us into a new life, and this new life is found in none other than Jesus. You see, something special happens at the intersection of the commandments and Jesus. Jesus never came to abolish the law. He didn't come to do away with it. He didn't come to throw it out. But rather, Jesus came to fulfill the law, keeping it perfectly, the Bible says. And what this means is that because of Jesus, neither sin nor death have power over us. This has got to mean something to you. Yeah, it, does, it, does. it means that through Jesus, neither sin nor death have power over you. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Guys. You need, to, you need to really understand this because sin is something that we have no power to control. Sin is something we cannot do anything about. Sin is something that we can't earn forgiveness for. Death is something we have no power over. But through Jesus, sin and death have no power over us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sin and death have no power over us. And in Jesus, we can have right relationship with God and with others. And as we allow Jesus to take priority in our lives, as we allow him to influence us into good, the negativity of our lives begins to fade. Through Jesus, the brokenness in our lives begins to be mended. Through Jesus, the darkness in our lives gives way to light. Through Jesus, the sin in our lives is forgiven. Forgiven. You see, Jesus embodies the Ten Commandments by living them through his life in order that through Jesus we might find freedom from sin. The commandments are about freedom. And no symbol of freedom is more powerful than the symbol of the cross. I want to invite the band to come on up as we close here. The symbol of the cross is where Jesus was crucified for our sakes where Jesus was crucified for us. The cross is where Jesus gave up his life so that we might gain ours. And in this moment, I want to invite you to celebrate and partake in that freedom through communion. If you are new here to Sun Valley, if you're unsure of how communion works, we want to let you know and take this moment to kind of give you some instructions. Through communion, we take the bread, we take the wine, the, the cup of juice, and we drink it and we eat it as a way of professing our acceptance of the freedom that Jesus brings to us. This is what it's going to look like. The band is playing now and, and we're going to invite everyone down. I'll let you know when to stand up. And, and everyone's going to stand up and we're going to make our way to the sides around. And, and we're going to come here to the front and we'll take a cup and we'll take a piece of, of the bread. And we'll go back through the middle to, to our seats. And, and don't eat it. Don't drink it just yet. We're going to, we're going to sing a little bit and praise God a little bit and then we're going to have a word of dedication, a word of prayer and, and, and when I kind of I'll lead you guys in this if you guys are unfamiliar with the communion, uh, I will lead you guys in taking the bread and, and drinking and drinking the cup 
and then we're going to have a, a very special prayer to kind of close this this moment and during the whole time uh, that we're doing this as you're walking down i want to invite you to either silently pray or to meditate on what this communion means to you or you can sing along in praise as we sing the song of remembrance and if you're new if you're new to this whole christianity thing and I want to invite you to partake in communion today as a way of declaring to God that you want to be a part of his kingdom. Declaring that you want to live in a right relationship with him and with others. Declaring that you are tired of the patterns of sin and brokenness in your life and you want to start living in the new life, in the new way of life that Jesus Christ brings. If this isn't your first time, if you're a seasoned veteran in communion, we want to still invite you to take part in communion as a renewal of your commitment to Jesus. A declaration before everyone, before God, that you are thankful for what Jesus has done in your life and that you want to continue living in that new life that he brings us. And I also want to say this because I know I've felt like this in the past. Maybe you are here and, and you've made mistakes in your life recently. Maybe you were screwing up yesterday. Or maybe you were screwing up this morning or you were doing something, I don't know. And maybe you feel unclean. Maybe you feel unholy. Maybe you feel unworthy of partaking in communion. But I have felt like that in the past. And, and I have felt like that. I used to feel like that for a long time. And for years I didn't take communion because I just didn't feel worthy enough to take in the blood and the bread. To take in the cup of juice and, and the bread that is represented here. And, and I want to tell you something. If you feel like that, if you feel unworthy, if you feel unclean, if you feel unholy and you feel like you can't take part today, I want to invite you still to take part because I want to tell you that there is no sin, no mistake too big that Jesus can't forgive you. I want to tell you that it doesn't matter how badly you've screwed up or messed up or how far you've strayed, you are never too far gone that the love and mercy of Jesus Christ can't reach you. You are never too far gone. So if you're a sinner, like me, and this resonates with you, I want to invite you to take part in communion, accepting the sacrifice of Jesus that covers every mistake we've ever made, the sacrifice of Jesus that forgives every sin we've ever committed, the sacrifice of Jesus that calls us loved and makes us worthy. So I want to invite you to stand if you want to take part in communion today, and you can come around to the sides and take part in the bread and the juice. And, and if you are gluten-free, if, if you have those restrictions, we do want to invite you to take part as well. We do have options for you to take part in this communion. So we want to invite you to come on down towards the outsides, towards the middle, to take part in this communion service today.